There are some mornings that I get up here and I feel like I've already run a marathon, and this morning is one of those. Um, before we get started this morning, I do want to ask, um, we're going to take a little bit of time to go to the Lord in prayer, because early this morning, um, Roberto and Sarai had to call an ambulance to come pick up Sarai's mother. Um, Roberto was here early this morning when I got here. He had already been here for quite a while. And for those who don't know, Roberto's my deacon of technology. And we were having problems with that computer before he left. And we thought we got it fixed. But unfortunately, Roberto had to leave because they needed to rush um, Sarai's mother um, to Northeast Georgia Medical Center. Come to find out what's going on with her is an issue with her heart. And I'm going to ask as a congregation, because this is one of our brothers, this is a man who serves this church faithfully day in and day out, keeping things going with the technology. His family has been a part of Harmony Grove since they moved to the area. Um, he is my Puerto Rican deacon. I love him. Um, uh, he's just a great man. But I'm going to ask us as a body of believers, as a faith family, to, before we start this, let's go to the Lord in prayer and just pray over this family. Father, first, I just want to say thank you for allowing us to be here. The opportunity to come together, to assemble as your church, your assembled people, your holy people, is such an honor. It's such a privilege. And Father, whether we realize it or not, it, it is a responsibility of us. When Jesus said, upon the profession of him as Savior, he will build his church. The word church, Lord, he was talking about an assembled people who come together to worship you in spirit and truth, encouraging one another, lifting one another up in prayer and edifying each other for the work of the ministry. And right now, Lord, my heart's heavy. My heart's heavy because one of our brothers is dealing with a situation, Lord, that... Um, I know they've been having to handle a lot with Sarai's mother lately. And I, I'm thankful that everything you worked out financially, everything to where Sarai was able to stay home with her mother and take care of her. But at the same time, Lord, I know this has been a big undertaking on the family. I know it's been taxing on both Roberto, Sarai, even Liz. And Father, we just pray that you would continue to give them strength as they walk through this chapter of life with Sarai's mom. Father, I want to lift up Sarai to you this morning, Lord. I just pray that you would give her comfort and peace of knowing that you are God and that you are in control, even in the middle of this. I pray for Roberto, Lord, that he would continually be the husband that you've called him to be, but that he would also be that support system to his wife of encouragement, love, and also protection. Father, I pray for the doctors. I know, Lord, you've gifted these doctors with some amazing talents and you've used them as your hands, as an instrument of healing for many people. And I just pray that you would give them wisdom for what is happening in Sarai's mother's life and that you would help her, Lord, to get through this well. Father, I pray for the ambulance drivers. It may even be one of our own brothers who's out there right now, Lord, who's driving that ambulance across the mountain. I pray for safety and protection as they head across the mountain, but also as they come back home. But Father, this morning, just like my brothers already said, I also ask that you speak to us. Father, I've got lots of words to say, but none of those words matter 
What we want to hear this morning is we want to hear from you, from your word. So this morning, Lord, give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and a heart and a mind to understand what your word has for us this morning. Help us, Lord, as we go through this service, proclaiming you through our prayer, through our praise, and through the proclamation of your word, the goodness of who you are and what you've done in our life. And Father, help us. Help us to grow as we walk in our faith. Father, we need you. More than anything else in this world, we need you. Bless us this morning. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So, I didn't get to say it last week, so I'm going to say it this week. Happy New Year. Last week, we stayed home um, because we wanted to spare y'all what we were going through. It was actually the second worst flu that I've ever had before in my life. I do not know why God works these things out the way he does, but this the two worst flus that me and Jennifer have ever had have always been around Christmas. So next year, we're just avoiding Christmas altogether. If y'all don't see us the month of December, we may be on an island somewhere all to ourselves. But we wanted to spare y'all that because I kid you not, I was at a point where I was gonna have to die to feel better. Any of y'all ever been in that situation? I was honestly at a point to where I was like, Lord Jesus, now is a great time. Come on, just come on. Come on, I'm ready, my wife's ready, um, many are ready, and I know many are not ready. But there's all times and situations in our life that we want to be spared from things. Difficult situations, family matters, even situations going on inside of our hearts. We want to be spared from difficulty. I like being spared from difficulty, but unfortunately, difficulty finds me very easy. A couple of years ago, I was put in a situation that I really wanted to be spared from. Jennifer come home one day from work. She had been to the mailbox and she comes in smiling with a letter. You got jury duty. <laughs> I don't know why she thought it was such a great thing. But from the moment I got that letter, all I did was pray, God, please spare me from this. Well, the day comes about and I'm not spared from it. I couldn't get out of it. I'd already got out of it two times before. So it come my lot to do jury duty. Now understand something. I know jury duty is a responsibility of citizens in our county to do this. But at the same time, there are certain situations in my life that I want to avoid. And one of those situations is murder. Anything dealing with murder, I want to avoid it. That's a good practice, isn't it? Well, it just so happens that when we go in for jury duty, the judge comes in and I mean, he is smiling and he says, ladies and gentlemen, I just want to welcome you here and I want you to know something. This is going to be a long case. For many of you, you, or for some of you, you will be taken away from your family, you will be put in a hotel, and you will sit in this jury until this case is over. Today's case is a murder case. So if there's anyone who has a reason why they can't be here, please let me know now. For the first part of that morning, we did nothing but listen to people give excuses. Man, I heard some great excuses. I heard some great excuses. This one, the guy comes up, he said, your honor, 
Me and my family are going on a cruise this week and there is no way we can get our money back. Please excuse me from this. The judge looks at him and says, well, that's a good reason, but it's not good enough for me. You are not excused. I'm like, oh. Next lady comes up, says, your honor, my daughter is about to give birth to my first grandchild and I would love more than anything to be with this grandchild when they're born. And the judge said, I can understand that, but still that's not enough, good enough reason to be excused. I'm sorry, sit back down. I learned real quick that I wasn't gonna get up there and say, your honor, I'm a pastor. I've got a lot of responsibility and I really don't need to be here because he would have just slapped that gal and said, go sit you high and back down, you're in jury duty. So we sit there. I was jury number 93. This is my first time on jury. You know what I didn't know? I thought they'd call you in order. They don't do that. You've been in, how long have you been in the court system for, honey? Why didn't you tell me that? So I thought, 93, so they'll call us back 12 at a time. Hopefully I'll be out of here in a day. Not quite. First day goes by, they didn't even get to my number. Next day, wake up, go to jury duty, sit there, and I'm going to tell you, that is a long, boring wait. When you're sitting there waiting on your number to get called, this isn't like the lottery or anything. You're not going to win anything. But you're sitting there waiting for your number to get called just to go through this process to see if you're going to get picked. At 3 o'clock on my second day, I finally hear juror number 93. Dude, I was ecstatic. Finally, I get to go back and hopefully I can talk my way out of us. So me and 12 other jurors, we go back. And um, for those who haven't been in there, it's, it's a little bit intimidating. It's really intimidating being in this process. You're sitting there in front of all these lawyers, this judge, the defendant, and even the, defend, uh, the defendant and the person, the prosecution counsel, and you're sitting there and you're listening to all this stuff come up. Well, in jury selection, it's kind of like an interview. It's the most intimidating interview I've ever been in before in my life. And the first person they call up is juror number 93. Listen, there's, 12, there's 11 others. Come on. Let one of them go first. So I stand up, I say, yes, sir, please tell them your name and your occupation. And I tell them my name is Scotty Jardin, pastor of Harmony Grove Baptist Church. The defense counsel says, your honor, we would like for this juror to be stricken from the selection because of his occupation and his high moral faith. And I'm sitting there thinking, that's a good reason. <laughs> that is a good reason. Your Honor, we do not feel like this juror can be biased on, or would be biased on this since it being a murder case, and we really ask that he be stricken. At the same time, the defense is saying that the prosecution, the DA, which I happen to know, stands up and says, under no circumstances before have we stricken a juror from the juror list simply because of a high moral standard. This is absurd and this juror should not be selected. The first thing that went through my mind was, Jeff Langley, I voted for you. How dare you do this to me? <laughs> the next thing that comes up is they say, okay, well, Mr. Gerard, do you know 
this individual and they give out a name. And I'm sitting there, I'm like, well, the name sounds familiar, but it is a small community, so I know a lot of people. But I can't say that I know this individual personally. And the name did. I heard the name three times. Man, that name sounds familiar. Where have I heard that name before? And all of a sudden, the prosecution says, well, according to Facebook, you're friends with this individual. And a light bulb come on. And I just looked at the prosecution and said, yes, I am. (laughs) And they said, well, how well do you know the individual? Honestly, I don't know him at all. So you mean to tell me that you just accept friend requests from people I don't know? I am a pastor for crying out loud. Do you know what it says to people if I don't accept their friend request? Jennifer used to get on to me all the time. How in the world can you have 3,000 friends? How in the world can you have all these friends? Well, one, they're really not my friends, okay? But if somebody sends me a request, I'm going to accept it. And because I accepted that request, the judge says, juror number 93, you are dismissed. So praise God for Facebook. Now, I am not advocating for you going and um, taking everybody's friend request on Facebook, but I will tell you this, it may get you out of jury duty. (laughs) So do not read it lightly. We want to be spared from all kinds of situations just like this, but we also want to be spared from things in our life that are difficult and hard. Family matters. Personal conflicts in ourself. Sickness. Disease. And there is... Two individuals in the Bible who were even spared from seeing death. And one of those individuals is a man by the name of Enoch. And that's who we're talking about today in Hebrews chapter 11. And I know some of you thought New Year, maybe we'd go into a new sermon series. No, we're finishing Hebrews. It's going to take us a while, but we're going to get there. But Enoch is a unique individual. It's one of those guys in the Bible that we really don't know a lot about, but the writer of Hebrews thought it was needed that this man be recognized as one of the heroes of the faith in Hebrews chapter 11. So in Hebrews chapter 11, verses five and six, this is what the word of God says about Enoch in the book of Hebrews. It says, by faith, Enoch was taken up so that he would not see death. And he, was not, and he was not found because God took him up. For he obtained the witness that before his being taken up, he was pleasing to God. Without faith, it is impossible to please him being God. He who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is the rewarder of those who seek him. Whenever we run into a scripture like this, something that is very small about a person, it starts to bring about a lot of speculation in our mind. We like to speculate some things. He was pleasing to God. Why was it everybody else pleasing to God? Or what exactly is going on here? Is this a reference to God taking up his church in the end times? And I will say this, it is imagery and it is reference to that. But by all means, it is not the main point. 
Enoch was spared from seeing death because of his faith. And faith is one of those things that we like to measure. You know what I mean? We like to measure things. Either my faith is strong or my faith is weak. And we use different things in our life to indicate whether our faith is strong or weak. Some of us will use blessings, even material blessings, as an indicator of whether our faith is strong or weak. If our faith is strong, we think that we will be materially blessed. That's not the case, and I'm going to show you one here in a minute. Or we think that because our faith is strong, we will be spared from certain things. I want to remind you that Jesus Christ had faith greater than anybody but was not spared from the punishment that he served for us. So to use these things as an indicator of whether your faith is strong or weak, it's actually wrong. Your faith is not gauged on strength or weaknesses by blessings or by things that happen to you. Your faith is based on their strength and weaknesses by one thing and one thing alone. Are you daily walking with God? Daily. Are there times in your life where you will sit and take time to reflect on God, read about God, pray to God, allow God to talk back to you? And I know that's, a, that's something that's crazy for a lot of us because we don't know how God speaks to us all the time. But is there times in your day where you daily walk with God? This year, I want to invite you on a journey. And that journey starts today. It's a journey where I am inviting you to walk with God in every aspect of your life. Well, pastor, you're talking about reading the Bible every day, right? That is one way, yes, I will say that is one way. But at the same time, your pastor started a chronological Bible reading plan at the beginning of the year. This morning, I read January 7th. What's today? Your pastor's already a day behind, okay? I understand. I get into those regiments as well to where I fall back. But walking with God is more than just reading the Bible. Is it an important part of it? Absolutely. What about praying? Well, pastor, you're talking about praying. Yes, I am talking about praying, but I am also talking about times where you allow God to speak back to you. A lot of people say, well, how does God speak to you? Number one way God speaks to you is through his word. Second way God speaks to you is through his people. Third way that God speaks to you is through his Holy Spirit. And that one's the one that's hard to decipher. But we'll get into that in the next couple of weeks. But I want you to see something in this scripture that really stand, stood out to me. Because when we're looking at our faith, we got to be careful on how we judge whether we're being faithful or not. And the way we're going to do that is we're actually not going to look at one Enoch. We're actually going to look at two Enochs. A lot of people don't realize this. In the first five chapters of the Bible, there are two Enochs mentioned. One, the Enoch that I just read about, but the second one 
is a man by the same name who was born about 500 years before this other Enoch. This other Enoch was actually the first son of Cain. After Cain killed his brother Abel, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago, Cain left. He left the presence of the garden, but he also left the presence of his family because he was fearful that he would be killed. So Cain got married. Don't ask me where his wife comes from. I'm not getting into all that. That's more speculation and all that. All I'm going to do is go by what the Bible says. Cain got married, had a son by the name of Enoch. And he thought so highly of his son that he named a city after him. One of the first cities named in the Bible is the city of Enoch. Now, many of you haven't heard of the city of Enoch. I hadn't heard about it much. And the reason being is because this city no longer exists. Matter of fact, it didn't exist anymore after the flood came and washed all of it away. But looking at it from that standpoint, you know, it must be something great to have a city named after you. Wouldn't you like to have a city named after you? Scottyville. Population one. I'm liking it already. It'd be awesome to have a city named after you. But if you go on to look at the descendants of Cain, you'll start to see some amazing things take place. On down the line, you will see that one of Cain's ancestors, or grandsons, great-great-great-grandson, matter of fact, I'm not going to try to say his name because I'll butcher it, lived in tents and was a herder of livestock. And I know some of you are thinking, well, what's so great about living in a tent? This is the first time that any form of housing is ever mentioned in the Bible. This gentleman was the Brown Haven builder of that time. No offense, Keaton. I know Timberlake is a builder too, but... Brown, this guy was the Brown Haven builder of his time. Not only was he the Brown Haven builder, he was also a herdsman. So he had lots of cattle, lots of cattle. This man was extremely successful. Well, if you go on to look at it, his son was the first son to ever create musical instruments and play them. This gentleman was the Beethoven of his time. Again, another successful descendant from Cain. But you go one more, and this is amazing. You go one more and you read about a gentleman by the name of Tubal Cain. Tubal Cain was, of course, named after his great granddaddy, great, 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 great granddaddy. But at the same time, Tubal Cain did something that nobody else had done before. He learned, he mastered, Refining and forging metals. Tubal Cain was the first industrial revolutionist ever mentioned. Now, if I were to put that before you, what would you say about this family? That family's successful. That family did something with their life. They built homes, they raised livestock. 
Not only that, they had a city named after them. They played music. They learned how to build things with their hands, putting metals together, a bronze, which is brass and copper. They did some amazing, amazing, amazing things. How did they do it? You know what? They must have been blessed. Why do we measure people's faithfulness by their material withhold, by their by their material withholdings? How many of you have done it before? You see somebody who's well off. You see somebody who has it made. They don't have to worry about working a day in their life. But at the same time, you know nothing about their faith walk with God. And the first thing that comes to your mind automatically is they are blessed. What's funny is we're looking at this family and this family is a very successful family. Nobody from this family lives after the flood. Think about that for a minute. Matter of fact, God's heart was broken that he even created these people because these people have become so wicked and vile that he saw no faith in them whatsoever. Faithfulness. Your faith can never, can never be measured by what you have and what you don't have. Faith is a journey. It's not a sprint. It's just like it says right here. It is a walk. If I were to mention a name to you, I guarantee you there's only one person in here. Daniel, where are you at? He may be downstairs. But there's probably only one person in here who can tell you who the name of James Blair is. Anybody know who James Blair is? James Blair was a colonel back in the Revolutionary War. And James Colonel had became a very affluent man in politics. He was rose to such a level that he became one of the leading colonels over the Indian War. And James Blair was a man who did reside in Georgia, but he was a man who also helped to clear Georgia of all the Indians that were here. Most of you don't know this, but the city that you're in right now, which we're not in it, is named after Colonel James Blair. Even though he never resided here, his family did, the city is still named after him. Let me ask you this. Did any of you know that? Which is proof to us of this. The successes and accomplishments of man are always quickly forgotten. All of our successes will be extremely quickly forgotten no matter what they are. You can build the biggest house you can have the highest bank, biggest bank account. You can have the smartest kids in the school. You can be the best at sports. You can be the best at singing. You can be the best at anything that you do, but your accomplishments will be forgot and they will be forgot when you die. 
kind of disappointing in it. But brothers and sisters, that's where faith comes in. Because while faith may not spare us from hard times, it may not spare us from poverty. The one thing that faith will always spare us from is faith will spare us from regret. Enoch, number one, his family had it all together. If you were to look at his life, you would say, this is a family that I want to model myself after. But Enoch's family had one word tied to them that comes to my mind every time I read about them. That word, actually it's two words, self-reliance. You know what self-reliance is? Self-reliance is the polar opposite of faith. Everybody thinks that disbelief is the opposite of faith. No, disbelief is the opposite of belief. Self-reliance is the opposite of faith because faith is trusting in something other than yourself. First family, successful family, did it all, but they did it all on their own accord. Let me ask you a question. Why is it that thousands of years later, even though we've seen situations like this time and time and time again of wealthy families come to the top of their wealth, fall. Why is it that that's still what we want? Can anybody help me with that? Because for the life of me, I just don't understand it. But in Genesis chapter five, verses 21 through 24, this is what the word of God says about Enoch. Enoch lived 65 years and became the father of Methuselah. Then Enoch walked with God 300 years after becoming the father of Methuselah and had other sons and daughters. So all the days of Enoch were 365 years. Enoch walked with God and he was not. For God took him. 365 years, Enoch was on this earth. But you know what stood out to me the most about this? Is while Enoch was here for 365 years, because that seems like a lot, his dad, Jared, was on the earth for, three, for 962 years. His son, Methuselah, was here for 969 years. The oldest recorded man in all of history. So why is it that Enoch was only here 365? See, this brings up another thing. A lot of us think that faithful people will have a long life. This speaks otherwise. Enoch was more faithful than anybody else in the sight of God. God took him from this earth, spared him from death, and he only lived a third of the time that his dad and his son lived. You know, over the last couple of weeks, I've been thinking a lot about Sean Byers. And I'm going to be honest with you, I really miss Sean. 
Every time I go into Walmart, for those who don't know Sean Byers, if you ever walked into Walmart, there was a young man sitting there in a wheelchair, that was Sean Byers. For those who don't know his story, when Sean was about 11 years old, I think Ricky Tanner was his coach, football coach then. Sean had a situation on the field where he eventually collapsed and they had to take him to the hospital. Once they got him to the hospital, they sent him down to Eggleston's Children's Hospital at Emory. And when they did a scan over his whole body, they saw a cerebral tumor on his spinal cord, bigger than my fist. When they started looking into the surgery, they had to come to Charlie and Cindy and tell them, I think Jerry, I think Jerry, I think you were the only pastor that was there during that time too. They had to come to Cindy and Charlie and tell them, we can remove this tumor, it will save your son's life, but his life will never be the same. He'll probably never walk. He'll probably never be able to speak. He'll probably never even be able to have a quality of life like any other kid. But if we don't do something, his time is running out quickly. Man, just like any other family, just like any other mom and dad, they made the decision to have surgery. And you know what? To some extent, the doctors were correct. Sean spent a majority of his life in a wheelchair. Sean spent a majority of his life not being able to carry on a conversation like me and you could, even though later on he'd talk your ear off. Sean didn't live the quality of life that me and you live. But there is one thing I will say about Sean. Sean had more faith that God was going to use his situation for his glory than anybody I've ever met. My life was truly blessed by Sean Byers because I watched him go through some of the hardest times of his life. I never will forget the time that me and him had a conversation about how he would probably never be able to be a dad, how he would probably never be able to find a wife, how he would never live a life. But at the end of that statement, he said something that just completely gripped me. He said, but I know I got God. I'm gonna tell you, I felt like a, a minion. I felt like a minion. Because I'm able to walk. And I don't have that type of faith. I'm blessed to have a wife. And I don't know that I have that type of faith. I'm blessed with two beautiful boys. It's directly given to me from God. And I don't know that I have that faith. I have a normal life. Just like majority of the people in this room. And I don't know that I have the faith that Sean Byers had. And this scripture and Sean's testimony tells me one thing. Faith is not about what you have or what you don't have. Faith is solely about who you trust.
Who do you trust? Who do you trust? And when I say that, a lot of things come to my mind. Well, I trust myself. Many of you trust yourselves, don't you? But I want to ask you a real question about trusting yourself. How many times have you let yourself down? I don't know about you, but I wake up disappointed in myself. I wake up daily thinking about the things that I did do or the things that I didn't do. And every day of my life, I am my own worst enemy. Which shows me that my faith is a lot to do with who I am. What about your spouses? You trust your spouse? Man, I trust my spouse with anything. I really do. I trust my wife with anything that is mine. We were laughing the other day, or not laughing. She don't think it's funny, but I can't tell you the last time I seen my paycheck. I don't know what it is. She takes care of all that. I trust her with all that because she's a lot better at it. But has she let me down? Yes, she has. But what's equally gut-wrenching is I've let her down. And you see, there's always this constant thing inside of us and we don't understand it. How many of you like to please people? How many of you like to please people? Let's see who raise their hands. Do you know why you like to please people? Because it is given to you from your creator. Your creator created you to please him. And our biggest mistake is we try to please everybody else when the only one in our life that we need to be pleasing is God. This is why Enoch was seen more favorable than anybody else in the world. This is why God spared him from life, spared him from death, and took him straight home to be with him. Oliver Green says it in a beautiful way. Oliver Green said, imagine... Enoch and God on a journey, so close on a walking journey that God looks at Enoch and says, Enoch, you know what? It's time to go home. And my house is closer than your house is. So let's just go on to my house. Is your walk that close? Is your faith that close? Is your trust that deep? I'm not minimizing you. Because I'll testify to you right now. My faith's not that strong. And what's even more humbler is Jesus said that if we had the faith of a mustard seed, we could tell this mountain to move and it would move. Which makes me really question how strong is my faith? Trust in God, faith, is what pleases God. But just like a desire, any desire, sometimes those desires get out of whack. 
we make it more about pleasing each other than we do about pleasing God. We'll start off the year with the guilty confession. There are times in my ministry that I am more worried about pleasing you than I am about pleasing God. And I'm wrong. I'm wrong. Tommy, you battle the same thing. So what is it? What is it that true living faith looks like? This isn't going to be on the screen. I just want you to listen to this. Because this is the truest illustration of living faith that can ever be seen in the Bible. In the book of Isaiah, it says this. Who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of the parched ground. And he has no stately form or majesty that we should even look upon him, nor appearance that we should be attracted to him. He was despised and forsaken for man. And a man of sorrows, he was acquainted with very much grief. And like one from whom men hid their face, he was despised and he was not esteemed. Surely our grief he himself bore and our sorrows he carried. Yet we ourselves esteemed him to be stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. He was chastened for the well-being of those that fell upon him. And he was scourged so that we may be healed. All of us like sheep, we have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way, but the Lord has caused the iniquity of us to fall on him. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. Like a lamb led to the slaughter and like a sheep that is silent before his shearers, he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And as for his generation who, consi who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living for the transgressions of my people to whom the stroke was due. His grave was assigned with the wicked men and yet he was with a rich man in his death because he had no violence nor was there any deceit in his mouth. Listen to this next portion. The Lord was pleased. The Lord was pleased to crush him putting him to grief. If he would render himself as a guilt offering, he will see his offspring. He will prolong his days and the good pleasure of the Lord will prosper in his hands. The first step 
in our walk of faith with God this year starts today. What I read to you was Isaiah 53. And it is the testimony of the death and the burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And the reason our faith journey starts today with that, and I know some of you have professed Jesus as Lord, Master, and Savior a long time ago, but there's times that we forget about that. Because our faith hinges on that profession right there by itself. Our faith is not by what we obtain or by what we don't obtain. Our faith isn't based on what we do or what we don't do. Our faith is slowly based upon what he did for us on the cross and that is what we're spared from. We're spared from the punishment that each and every one of us are due. We're spared from the guilt that he took for us and we're spared from the shame. And that's where our faith journey starts today do you trust him do you trust him do you trust Jesus Christ to take away man's biggest problem which is sin every single one of us to say absolutely so if he can take care of our biggest problem why can't we trust him with the rest? Why can't we trust him with the rest? Tommy? Father, you have. You spared us from so much that we don't take note of. You spared us from the punishment that Jesus took for us. You spared us from the torture that Jesus took from us. You spared us, Lord, from the shame that we should be feeling, the guilt that we should be feeling. Why? Because your son took it on himself. And Father, I'm thankful for the shed blood of Jesus Christ, which has paid the remission of my sins. But I'm also thankful for a man like Enoch, who show me, Lord, that it's not about a long life, that it's not about having everything or not having anything at all. I'm thankful for men like Enoch because it shows me that my trusting in you and you alone is what pleases you. Father, as we start this faith journey together as a church, my prayer for us today is that we would be pleasing to you. Like a little boy or a little girl who longs to do nothing but please their dad. Help us, Lord, to be pleasing to you. Help us, Lord, to walk with you. Help us, Lord, as we start this walk of faith with you today. We love you, Lord. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Today's invitation is simple. You either trust him 
or you don't. For some of you, you may need to trust in him for the first time. For the first time, you may realize that your sin separates you from God and you desire to be with God. Trust in the finished work of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and you will be saved. For the rest of us, we need to work on not being so self-reliant. And even though we desire to live, we need to die to ourselves even today. Regardless how God is calling you to respond to him, whether it's at the altar, whether it's in your pew, whether it's on your knees, as they sing, as we stand, it's your opportunity. Do you trust God? Tommy.